reading from Ephesians in chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. If you want to turn with me there now. Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the, whole, with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything. To God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one, each, uh, one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Dan, for reading God's Word to us. It's a joy to be uh, beginning this new series called Biblical Stewardship, uh, where we are asking the question, what do we do with the stuff God gives us? What do we do with the stuff God gives us? We're going to look at things like our money, our work, our possessions, uh, and how to best steward them for God's glory, uh, our joy, and others' good. Now, part of that stewardship acknowledges that God actually owns all this stuff, and secondly, that we are to use the stuff according to His purposes and His design, because He owns it, He gets to decide. And today, we're going to ask the question, how do we steward our time? What is a good use of our time? Raises the question, what makes something good? In order to know if something is good, you need to know its purpose. Uh, what makes for a good use of a watch, for instance? Well, I use a watch to help tell the time. That's a good use of a watch. And someone else says, I try hammer nails with it. That's a bad use of a watch. Well, what is the point of time? If we want to use time best and we want to use time good, we need to know what its point is and its purpose. And I actually think a lot of us think about time quite a lot. We're, we, we're constantly... Uh, it's leaking out in a vocabulary, this thing called time. We might say, where did my day go, says the office worker who's run off her feet. Where did the time go, says the parents watching their child graduate high school. When is it my time, said the single person hoping to find love. Or I wish I had more time, said the elderly gentleman on his deathbed. The singer Cher wishes to that she could turn back time. Green Day, hope you had the time of your life. And Jennifer Warnes replies, I had the time of my life. Sadly, I think, though, for many of us, if we could turn back time, we probably would. Because we have, would recognize that we haven't spent it that wisely. Our time in this world is brief, isn't it? If you were to look at your clocks now, and your clocks, <laughs> your phones, your watches, you can start a clock, and press start, and then the time would start ticking, and that's one minute would pass, and that's one minute closer to death. David Mathis puts it in his opening chapter from Habits of Grace. He says, every single person is always on the clock. They're always on the clock. Days of our lives, so aptly put it, like sand through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Our lives here are brief, 
book of James says, your life is but a mist and then vanishes. Name your great-grandparents. How long do they live for? If you can recall their names, which most people can't, you probably have no idea how long they lived for. Life is brief. We're always on the clock. But there is someone who oversees and determines our time and our hours. So we aren't to think that everything is happenstance and chance. God oversees that. So we can say with the psalmist, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Each one of us has been given time by God on this earth. The question is, what on earth will we do with it? How will we spend the time that he's given? In a series on biblical stewardship, as we look at things like uh, our our work, our income, our uh, opportunities, abilities, well, the, the truth is all those things may vary from person to person, but all of us in this past week have had seven days. And one year in this past year, today, for Lord wills, we will each get 24 hours. The time is the same. What will we do with it? I was listening to a pastor speak um, this week at the uh, denomination we're part of, the FIEC. Um, he was speaking about the cancer that is now riddled through his brain. He said he had that meeting where the doctors said, it's far worse than we thought. You should go home and get your affairs in order. How do you think he's going to use the time that he has left? If you ever walk through a graveyard, you'll notice there's a common theme on all the headstones. There's two sets of numbers and a little dash in the middle. That little dash is our life. Represents all humanity. What is your life? A mist, a dash, time is short, time is brief. So we want to think, how do we best use our time if it's, it's so precious and so fleeting and so short? So that we may say with David Brainard, Lord, let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. Utterly disproportionate to who I am. Would you like to do that? Well, if we're going to do that, it'll mean making the best use of our time. So to gather our time today in three sections, I want us to think of the past, the present, and the future past, present, and future. When it comes to the past, firstly, we need to be attentive. That's the first thing. Be attentive. I think being attentive is can be worked out in verse 15 with a call to walk in wisdom. What is wisdom but pulling together the collective wisdom of others, the learnings of others, and applying it to our lives? So Ephesians 5 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as the unwise, but as wise. Paul's exhortation here doesn't just spring out of nowhere. It's coming off the back of, of his warning to the, to the church in Ephesus not to do the wrong thing nor be deceived by the wrong people. There are false teachers who are going to try and teach you and instruct you and conscript you to a way of thinking about life and what is valuable and what is true. But they're going to use it towards evil endeavors. And tell you things like it won't matter how you live, it doesn't matter what you do with your body, you've got plenty of time, do with it as you want. These false teachers, false narratives. Paul says, Christian, you better be careful how you walk. You better pay attention. Now, a person's walk refers to our behavior and manner of life. I, I think it's a, a word that's kind of lost 
growing up, a regular question you would ask someone was, how's your walk with Jesus going? Uh, it's less common to ask that now, but it refers to your whole manner of life. Already Paul said to walk worthy of God's call, 4 verse 1. The church is to walk in love, 5, 5 verse 2, to walk as children of light, 5 verse 8. And here he says, you need to be attentive to how you walk. We don't want to be sleepy Christians, uh, unaware of the dangers out there in the world, nor do we want to be inattentive to the own, the, the own dangers within our own soul, internal proclivities towards sinful desires. We need to look carefully, pay attention. Socrates said, an unexamined life is a life not worth living. I think he's onto something. If you never examined your life, you would never learn from mistakes and you would always repeat them. You would never do anything differently. We need to take an audit as it was, a careful attention to how we spend our lives. Uh, ANZ has a new feature in its banking app which allows you to watch where you spend your money. Uh, that can be a joy or a sad task. Finding out where it goes, keeping Woolworths in business. Um, well, it's helpful, it's exposing. And I wonder what it would be like if we tracked our time like we tracked our money. Like money, time can be received, it can be invested, it can be set aside, and it can be spent. I wonder what would the app of time reveal about you? Yes, your phone can tell you how much phone usage you've done, how much time you've spent browsing Safari, emails, listening to music. But what about your whole, the past seven days? Open up the app. The past six months, how have you spent your time? Was it spent wisely? How might your lived schedule reveal what you prioritize most? Donald Whitley observes, if people threw away their money as thoughtlessly as they throw away their time, we would think them insane. Yet time is infinitely more precious than money because money can't buy time. So you need to evaluate it, look carefully at it. Now some of you type A people are just, you're humming inside. You're thinking, yes, I'm a zero inbox person. I live my life 15 minutes increments at a time. I am ready to reflect and think how to be productive. Over 60,000 books on productivity on Amazon alone. Now, I'm not calling for that kind of attentiveness. If that gets you a goat, please go for it. I'm talking about being careful, though. I'm talking about being attentive. Consider John Stott's words when he said, everything worth doing requires care. We all take trouble over the things which seem to us to matter. Our job, our education, our home, our family, our hobbies, our dress and our appearance. So as Christians, we must take trouble over our Christian life. We must treat it as, a ser as the serious thing it is. I wonder, do, do you consider how you spend your time as a serious Christian thing? Be attentive. Be wise. I think being attentive means that we are going to be attentive to our limitations. We cannot do it all know it all or, or, or be everywhere, be at all the places. The biggest deception of our digital age, says Pastor and author Kevin DeYoung, may be the lie that says we can be omni-competent, omni-informed and omnipresent. 
We can't be any of these things. We must choose our absence, our inability, and our ignorance, and choose wisely. A yes to one thing will inevitably mean a no to other things. Friends, again, we must choose wisely. Dion goes on to say, God does expect us to say no to a whole lot of good things, that we may be freed up to say yes to the most important things he has for us. I remember hearing John Piper, who doesn't have a TV, he says one of the reasons he doesn't have a TV is because he's not a good enough Christian. Too much time would be given to it. His personality would absorb it too much and he'd be distracted from the, the, the higher purposes. We need to be attentive to the past. We need to be careful how we walk. That then brings us to the present. What might this wise living look like if we are to be attentive to our walk and not walk as the unwise but as the wise? What might that then look like? Well, secondly, if we're attentive to the past, we need to be intentional with the present. Intentional with the present. It comes to life, you have two choices. Perhaps you could be uh, like a jellyfish or a salmon, which is, of course, where you exactly what you were thinking. Jellyfish is the kind of animal, uh, there's, I know there's a bit of movement, some bio, you know, bi- marine biologists are going to say they can move, they can, but they're taken away kind of by the currents to life. Salmon, on the other hand, has a determination, a goal, a purpose, it can swim upstream, get eaten by a bear perhaps. <laughs> Being intentional means making the best use of our time today. John Tyson, a pastor in New York, yeah, he intentionally uses his time um, to, in the discipleship of his son and daughter before they left home. He knew the pressures they would face in the world. He's living in New York City. He wanted to disciple his children well. And so he carved out 5.45 to 6.30 every morning as much as they could for word, prayer, and discipleship. He knew he only had a few precious years with them to train them in the ways of the Lord so that they would not be deformed by the world that is pressing upon them. They, they had a sign uh, that they kind of hung up, him and his son Nate, and said, what good will you do today? They'd finish by asking each other that question, prayed for the grace of God to go out and accomplish it. Attentiveness, intention. Remember, hearing him on a podcast, when his daughter left to go study nursing, she looked at him and said, Dad, I'm not sure I'm ready to go yet. I need more wisdom from you. Parents, would you not love your children to say that to you on the day that you see them off? I need more wisdom from you. There's more to learn. I want more. That didn't come from an absence of wisdom. That came from an overflow. There's a dark world out there. Be intentional with our discipleship. Notice the phrase in verse 16. He says, making the best use of your time. In fact, it says, making the best use of the time. I used to say your time when quoting this verse. It's not my time. It's the time. And who owns the time? The author of time, God. You don't primarily get to decide how you think you should spend your time. It ought to be informed by the author of time who's given the time to us. We need to make the best use of it. We are his stewards. But the phrase making the best use of your time means to, to redeem or to buy back. It was used in buying a, a slave's freedom. 
so the, the idea that Paul's trying to get in our head is you were to kind of purchase up time. You were to buy it back, which implies that someone else currently has a grip on it, doesn't it? You don't have a grip on it. Someone else does. Well, we see there, making the best use of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. We live in evil days. You might be familiar with the cultural mantra, you take charge of your time or someone else will. Well, that's true in the Christian framework too. The days are evil. Evil is that, in that sense, that they are governed by the evil one this side of eternity. Back in Ephesians 2.2, Paul says that the course of this world is aligned with the devil. Satan and his schemes is in operation this side of eternity. Now, when you, when you think that, the evil days, I don't think we are to think some nef- nefarious dragon, demon, demigorgon is taking, arriving at you to, to um, kind of steal your time every day. No, I don't think it's that intense. I think it's more subtle. I think there are time thieves. Most of the time, the time thieves don't break in. We simply let the door open. The door was open and they ran amok. There's a tilt in this world and it's not tilted towards godliness, is it? How many of you this past week found it an easy, easy kind of gliding through intentional glorifying God, making of disciples, working hard at your job and study? How many of you just rolled out of bed going, productivity is going to be a walk in the park today? No, no, there's a, there's a tilt in this world towards evil, away from godliness and godly productivity. Australians over the age of 14 watch on average 18 hours of television a week with a total use of 19 hours on the internet. But by the time you're 80, the average Australian has watched seven years worth of television. Seven years. Nathan shared a statistic um, the other day around social media use, which is now just shy of two hours a day. If you were to use that time to listen to the audio Bible, which isn't read, listen to a normal, you know, slow-paced reading, you would get through the Bible nine times in a year. And yet how many of us would say, we don't think we have time to read through the Bible this year. John Piper said on Judgment Day, social media usage will be used by God to show us that we had more than enough time to pray. Distractions, procrastination, avoidance. Listen, even Apple knows that you're not very good at managing your time. It has to set digital algorithms and options time limits to stop you using your devices. It's like, we'll create the addiction, then we'll help you curve it a little bit. But keep being addicted just in a good way so we can keep selling you things, says the iPhone 14 user. You see how the days are evil? Is this the best use of our time? The average Australian script will use time like this. I'm going to use my time to study at school, hang with friends, go to uni or get a trade or some other business, earn money, 
try and get a house deposit whilst forming a kind of relationship, get married, have the house, pay the house down, use my time then to have other hobbies, get nicer things, all the while trying to use time to build my super up so that I can hit that ripe old age of some of you between 60 and a bit older. By the time I get there, it'll be retirement age of 75. And then what? Live your lifetime in pleasures and comfort? That's the Australian dream. Is that the best use of our time? I think those in Ephesus would face similar challenges to us today. Sure, there wasn't iPhones or you know, WhatsApp or social media to distract them. But the cultural institutions of the day were tilted towards ungodliness. They still had tugs and pulls towards economic prosperity, sexual gratification, religious cultic practices, drawing them in, conscripting them to use their time and their bodies and their thoughts. But now that the church in Ephesus has come to Christ, they have a new allegiance. It's no longer to the ways of the world, no longer to the prince and the power of this age, but rather to God. So it's as if a new line manager comes in and says, hey, 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 you're not working on that project anymore. I've got something new for you to do. This is how you best use your time now. Christian, have you realized a new line manager has come in and his name is Jesus? And he is Lord, which means he gets to determine how we use our time. Comes on in. He says, this is going to be the best use of your time. Since the days are evil, our judgment is clouded. We don't know how to use our days best. We're, we're uninformed. We're, we're unmanaged. We're, we're swept in the, in the current of godless culture. Again, from Don Whitley, he observes, thoughts must be disciplined. Otherwise, like water, they tend to flow downhill or stay stagnant. That's why Colossians 3, 2, we're commanded, set your mind on the things above. He says this, without this conscious, active, disciplined setting of the direction of our thoughts, they will be unproductive at best, evil at worst. You see what he's saying? If you don't take captive your thoughts, they're going to drift towards ungodliness and evil. Now, thoughts, we think about, is going to influence our time. Why do we need to make the best use of our time? Church, it's because if we don't, we will, our time will be remained enslaved towards evil. Jim Collins says, good is the enemy of great. If that is true, then acceptable is the enemy of best. So all things are permissible, not everything is beneficial. We need to do all things for the glory of God. Now, if we're really honest now, who here can, can say with a clear conscience that they really make the best use of their time? I don't think I can. I thank God that there's this command because this command is what's needed <laughs> for a, a recovering sinner like me who lives in an evil age, who needs to be reminded to reorientate his life around using it for the best means possible. Isn't it a grace of Christ that we would have this verse? If we didn't have it, we would be drifting our way through this evil age, like the jellyfish. Want to make the best use of your time? I think we need to learn from those who had. 
One church figure really took this on board. You might be familiar with him. His name was Jonathan Edwards, man with two first names. He made 70 resolutions after his 19th birthday. If you ever want to get humbled by, like, I've done nothing with my life, read Jonathan Edwards and what he's doing at 19. Listen to this. Number five, resolved. Never to lose one moment of time, but to seize the time to use it in the most profitable way I can. Resolution 17, resolved. I will live in such a way as I wish I had done when I come to die. Happy birthday. Resolution 25, resolved. To examine carefully and constantly what, is the, what that one thing in me that causes me to doubt the love of God, even the least little bit, and then direct all my forces against it. Imagine I have a conversation with Jonathan Edwards the next morning. Jono, how was your night? How did you spend your time last night? He said, I was just combating any sense of doubt in my heart of God's love. All right, what did you get up to, you know, on, on the weekend? Well, I thought about dying so I could make, the, make and spend the weekend the most profitable way possible. What did you do? I got through season five of Virgin River. If you've got through season five already, you have binged it because I'm on good authority. It just came out. <laughs> Do you see what Jonathan Edwards is doing? He's trying to make the best use of his time because the days are evil. He's buying it back because he knows there's an evil tilt in this age that isn't towards godliness but towards wastefulness, isn't towards honoring God but dishonoring him. His ministry would go on to inspire thousands of missionaries, and he continues to impact believers today. That is an intensive life. He's attentive to how he lives. That is an intentional life. He's got a direction. He's going after it. Loved ones, the days are evil, so watch your step. <laughs> use your time wisely. Make the best use of it. After all, friend, these evil days, they're soon going to be over, aren't they? Remember, your life is a mist, vapor. But these evil days we're in, they're, they're going to be gone soon. And, and eternity with God is going to be ushered in. And so making the best use of your time because the days are evil, friends, they're not going to last long. There's just short opportunity here now. So there are things that we get to do in this age that you will not get to do in the next. You will not be able to evangelize in heaven. Some of you said, thank you. But you won't be able to do it. They're all saved. You won't be able to be on mission in heaven, making disciples, teaching them everything God has commanded you. Do you know why? Because then they will know in full. But you can do that now. In fact, we must do that now. To orientate our life around these temporal priorities that hold eternal weight. Temporal priorities that hold an eternal weight. You won't get a chance to in the next. So that's true. Do the things now that you won't get a chance to in the next. But secondly, it's also true that there's things you can do in, in eternity, which means, listen, you don't have to do them now. You don't have to do them now. Be very careful here. 
There's, a, there's an understanding that when Australians graduate high school, they have to go and travel before they settle down. You just won't find that in the Bible. I remember chatting to um, Adam Ramsey about the, the beauty of, we're talking about favorite places in the world to visit. Um, mine was like Coochie Mudlow Island, and his was like Scotland. And he's talking about Scotland, and he's talking about how beautiful it is. The mountains, the vistas, and he's thinking about Scotland, and he's thinking, this place is incredible in its fallen state. This is broken world Scotland. This is as bad as it gets. I want you now to think about the most beautiful places in the world that you would love to visit, the most beautiful spots. Try to picture them in the restored creation. Made new. Feeling no stress or strain of living in a broken world. That awaits us in eternity. You literally have an eternity to travel. You have an eternity to get comfortable. You have an eternity to get buff. You have an eternity to make and create and renovate. You have an eternity to enjoy God-glorifying media. It is okay to enjoy these things this side of eternity. But just know that you don't have to, but you get to. So steward that time. Enjoy those things. But recognize that these things ought not come at the cost of the things we can only do in this lifetime. Does that make sense? Don't devote your life to media consumption or to travel at the expense of making disciples. So what might this intentionality look at? Here's a couple examples, just thinking practically. What, what it might look like to have, be intentional with making the best use of my time? Well, you, you might eat 21 meals a week, thereabouts. Maybe you'll seek to share one of those meals with a coworker. Share one meal with a coworker so you can hear their story and find out maybe how God's story can map onto their story so they can hear the good news of the gospel. Trust God for the result, but just allow, give the chance, opportunity to map the gospel onto their life. Another idea, um, each of us have seven nights in a week. Seek to share, share one of those with members of the church community. And then to seek to, to keep one space uh, fortnight free for extending hospitality to someone else. So one night a week, church people, one, one, week, one night a fortnight just towards hospitality, welcoming the stranger, someone you don't know. Listen, if you do that, you, you'll have 287 nights left over in your margin. 78 nights dedicated, devoted, intentional. 287 nights of margin. Imagine what God can do with that margin. Imagine what issues might raise up. People who need help, people who need a meal, people who need a shoulder to cry on that you can minister into. Can you picture it? Be intentional with our time. Equip foundations, thirdly, it starts here at 8.30 um, during the terms. When it's on, it's not on this morning. We think as elders, this is the best use of your time on a Sunday morning. 
we can't conceive of a better use of your time prior to that time here gathering together to be, to be well-fed the Word of God. So come and gather. Come and use your time wisely. We're already here. We're here. It's feed and equip on God's Word. My encouragement to you is, would you, would you come along next week? Next term, sorry. Would you come along next term when that restarts? Would you commit to it? And then afterwards, would you come and tell me that that was not a good use of your time? That's the challenge. How we spend our days is how we spend our life. It is important that we are attentive, and it's important that we are intentional. Attentive and intentional. Lastly, we just need to be informed. We need to be informed about the future. We are a future-orientated people trying to understand where God's big story is heading towards. If you don't know where his his story is heading towards, you need to know his will. What's he working out in this world? What in the world is God on about? So this is the application then. It says, um, making the best use of the time because the days are evil, understanding what the will of the Lord is, not to be foolish, but to understand what the will of the Lord is, sorry. How you think about the future will dramatically impact how you engage in the present. Manus uh, Labashane was... um, is an incredible Australian cricketer, and he dreamt of playing cricket since he was three years old. That future of playing Australian cricket since he was three years old drove his intentions and his plans growing up. The future impacted his daily present, how he spent his time, how he trained, how he developed his skill. So it is for the Christian. Thinking about the future, knowing God's will, reorientates our focus and recalibrates us to what matters most. So what is God's will? Well... Not referring to some kind of specific will for your life where you shake a magic eight ball and it tells you the answer. I'm not talking about that. That's not how it works. Well, we're talking here about God's revealed will, his general will, what he's up to in the word, in the world. And it's, it comes to us through his word. There's just one example here from Ephesians 1. It answers the question: what is God, what is God's will in this world? Listen to him. Paul's praising. God, he says, in him, we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace, which he, excuse me, lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan. You know what his will is? As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What is God's big will? What is happening? What on earth is he doing in this world? Well, God has revealed that he is collecting and gathering a people for himself as he is reconciling all things to himself. That's what God is doing in this world. And if God is doing that in this world and he has gathered up his people to this eternal purpose, friends, the question is, how might that shape our priorities? That you've been swept up into this cosmic plan of infinite glory to come stare upon the majesty of Jesus for all eternity, that all creation would be united to him. is a wonderful plan he's got, a wonderful will. It's getting our lives orientated around that, being a people devoted to the proclamation of this gospel message and a people devoted to prayer. James K. Smith in his book, How to Inhabit Time, asked the question, he says, we don't just need to ask where we are, but also ask when we are. When are we? 
well, we're a people, this side of the, 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 the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, the, the sending of the Spirit, and we're this side of the imminent return of Christ. When are we? That's when we are in God's cosmic story. Now, we're also in 2023, facing certain pressures, cultural um, headwinds, etc. But we're here now. How does that story shape us? What is the will of the Lord? Well, I want to know what God is up to because I want to orientate my life around His priorities. Now, I think the tricky part is just recognizing that so many of us just have uh, different capacities, different limitations. We're in different seasons of lives. Some of you have more free time. Some of you have less free time. Some of you high energies. Some of you lower. Some of you have minimal opportunities for gospel evangelism. Some of you have many opportunities for gospel evangelism. But it's figuring out how to utilize what we've been given by God for His glory and for His purposes. There's two illustrations, I think, that helps play this out. This is a life that's orientated around the future, knowing God's will, and then acting accordingly. Um, it was 2014, I had a friend of mine come and say, Darren, I just want to get some wisdom from you, which um, was rare. Um, he says, well, you know, we get four weeks holiday a year. My wife and I are going to spend two weeks enjoying that locally, but we want to spend two weeks overseas. And so we just, we're trying, I just want your, your input. Um, do you think we should, should go visit the long, some long-term missionaries our church has over in South America to encourage them in their ministry? Or do you think we should visit some short-term missionaries over in Thailand so we can encourage them in their ministry? I'm just not sure, short-term missionaries or long-term missionaries, how I use my holidays. Can I be honest? With my first thought was, who thinks like that? Oh, that's so bizarre. And then I thought, yeah, Christians think like that. That's a profoundly Christian way to think, isn't it? He goes, my wife and I, we've got two weeks, we're good. These missionaries need encouragement. Oh, life is short. We better encourage them. Of course you'd use your free time for that. Secondly then, compare the following description of a day in the life of a Christian. First one I made up, and the second one was written by a guy called Jonathan Lehman as an example of just kind of ordinary Christian discipleship. First day looks like this morning, 6 a.m., wake up, snooze the alarm, think to self, why on earth did I stay up so late and why am I so tired again? Scroll through phone, continue to scroll through phone, end up spending two minutes on devotion app, tick the box, rush kids to school, 8.15, head into work. On lunch break, check phone, play Wordle. Finish work, head home, spend brief time with the children whilst watching afternoon news. Eat dinner, tired from the day, so cancel plans. Browse home renovations, items to buy, catch up on Netflix show, didn't finish on binging on the weekends. Settle in, glass of wine. Oh, I've got to pray, God, help us sleep well and would tomorrow be better in Jesus' name, amen. Second description of a day, 6 a.m., shower and dress. 6.30 a.m., devotions, Bible reading and prayer. 
praying for family, praying for the day's events, schedules, discipleship relationships, evangelistic opportunities. 7 a.m., help kids get the kids ready. 7.30, meet fellow church member Paul at nearby coffee shop for breakfast. Discuss a chapter of a book we're reading. Discuss marriage and parenting and ask how, how his Christian and non-Christian relationships are going. 8.30 a.m., work. 12.30 p.m., lunch with non-Christian co-workers seeking to discuss faith. 1.30 to 5.30, work. 5.30, pick up store items from the store for dinner for wife. Um, invite Ken, a single man, who's new to the church, who lives nearby, asked intentional questions in his life. 6.30 p.m., dinner, family worship, play with the kids, bedtime routine. 8.45, dessert with wife and the Smiths in the living room, a younger couple in the church who are struggling in their marriage, conversations about marriage and prayer. 10.15, prayer with wife and bed. Now, before we start making any qualifiers for why that sounds extreme, Can we just ask the question, which one sounds more common? Can we ask the question, which one sounds more crazy? But which one sounds more Christian? Which one sounds more Christian who realizes time is short, eternity is forever, and people are going to spend it in heaven or in hell? How will we spend the time? Make the best use of our time because the days are evil. It's so critical to know what the Lord's up to, isn't it? Oh, my prayer would be that we would just move one step closer to that second illustration. Just one step. Just one of those meetings, one of those prayers, one of those worship. And see what the Lord will do. So how, um, how might we apply this? Well, I think Paul applies it with what he says next in Ephesians. He says verse, uh, sorry, in Ephesians, he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with his Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, uh, drunkenness impairs wisdom and decision-making. Ten years of serving at schoolies ministry, Red Frogs, really solidifies that fact. With wine, you excess wine, you lose control. That leads to debauchery. Debauchery is essentially a wastefulness. It means to waste. Waste your time. Pour it out. In contrast, to be filled with the Spirit is to be characterized and controlled by the work of the Spirit. I'm not talking about a kind of second baptism where you become a super saiyan Christian. We're talking about being characterized by the Spirit. You gain self-control. Make wise choices. In summary, the wise choice is that best use of our time leads us towards being with God's people, singing and making melody in your heart, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. So when we sing here as a church, we don't just sing vertically up to God, we sing horizontally to edify and encourage one another. That's why we want to hear you sing. If we can't hear you sing, then there's no edification from one another. When the church gathers, we sing as a redeemed people to strengthen the truths of Christ in our heart to help us know how to be make the best use of our time, to be filled with the Spirit, encouraged by Him. Friends, and then we give thanks in all things. 
Give thanks in all things. I think it's nearly impossible to thank God when you've used your time foolishly, but it's nearly impossible not to thank God when you've used your time wisely. So use it wisely. Fill your day up with the Lord. Fill your day up with prayer. Fill your day up with the people of God. Fill your Sundays with, with worshiping with one another, encouraging one another, sharing meals with one another, exercising hospitality to the stranger. This is our kind of engine room that, that verifies and affirms and confirms the truths of the gospel. As we announce it, people see our lives together and they go, this gospel message is true. Are people making the best use of their time? Now, all of us have said before, have not made the best use of our time. We've misused our time. We've, we've fallen short of it. We, we struggle. We, we get caught and swept up into the evil age we're in. You know, what's harder to hear this sermon is to prepare it in one sense because it just starts exposing all this, the, the folly of how I've misused my time. I want the Lord to help me. Some of you even may, may feel guilty that you, you, you kind of squandered your life and you're wondering, is it, is, is it too late? Is it too late now to get started? Some of you might have come to faith late wondering, have I just wasted too much time? Friends, we... We serve the God over time and the God who redeems time. And he redeems ours. Apostle Paul was probably well into his, well, was into his 30s, probably before coming to Christ. God of time has redeemed us. So take comfort this morning if you've wasted and squandered times. Your time, you're the very people that Jesus came to die for. People like me. If we're wasting our time on the wrong thing. God was working on his plan of redemption. Think of Jesus at the right time he entered the world. He lived an ordinary yet faithful human life, loving family, working a job, worshiping in the temple, sleeping, Sabbathing. Then he entered ministry for three times full time, working, teaching, withdrawing, resting, time with the 12, time with the two, time with the crowds. He enjoyed celebrations. He, he went to weddings. He got invited to dinners. So enjoy life. Jesus did. And he faces many of the challenges that we face, disruptions in his day, demands from others, juggling family and ministry, time and prayer, busy seasons, quiet seasons. He knows what it's like to be us. Jesus, even when tempted by Satan, didn't skip ahead of time to get glory. He endured time. He endured the cross. So the right time Christ would die for the ungodly. He absorbed our sin, our wastefulness, the precious hours we drained away on selfish living. And friends, he put it to death and he gave you and I a cloak of righteousness. Do you know if you're in Christ this morning, you have a cloak of righteousness. You have Christ's perfect use of time sitting around your shoulders. You don't have to make the best use of your time in order for God to love you. But because God loves you, won't we make the best use of our time to love him? to love others. So in light of this, finish with two questions. If an order of time was as attentive, you can think through this yourself, was as attentive to my use of time as a financial auditor was, what might they find? If they audited my life, what might they find? What needs to go? Sin. What just needs to be recalibrated? Just pull back on that. And what needs to be added? So my life looks distinctly Christian, like Jesus is returning, and that I'm making disciples with the local church.
And the second question is, if I continue to live my days like this, what kind of person am I going to be in 10 years' time? If I continue to live my days like this, what kind of person am I going to be in 10 years' time? And what kind of impact will that have on the community around me? Will it be an answer to the prayer to be utterly disproportionate to who I am? Or will it end up looking just like the world? Oh, maybe pray for God's grace. Start small. Get thinking. Let's make the best use of our time. How about we make the best use of it now as we pray and then sing in response? Father, it is difficult for us to see through the, the fog on how best to use our time. pray that our love would abound more and more for knowledge and discernment so that we as a people may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Pray this for your son's sake. Amen.